The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 61 on April 2nd, 2018. Alex, we're in Q2 of the year. We're a quarter of the way through. It's hard to believe. Uh, I feel like the year just started. Yeah. But we can definitely tell that we're in quarter two because uh, it is still snowing outside. It's still snowing. Absolutely. So we know that spring has officially started, right? The snow exactly. is very heavy and is ruining my trees. That's yes. perfect. Yes. I don't think it's quite as bad as last year when I had a whole bunch of stuff die uh, because of the hard freeze. Right. But right. Uh, not yet. Not yet anyway. Still <laughs> got still time. Have more, we have more time for that. Uh, go ahead and, and diving into a couple of business items here. Uh, please remember we have a Patreon campaign and a huge thank you to those Patreons who are supporting us. Um, we, we do appreciate that support that helps us pay for things like hosting the podcast, our website, really just keeping things going from a podcast perspective. Yeah. And you can find more information about that on the front page of the website. We have a button there that you can go to. So go to colorado-security.com to find that out. Uh, we also have our Slack channel, of course, so they're again on the front page of the website. You can get your invite to the Slack channel. We've got over 300. I don't know if we hit 400 this week. Uh, pretty close, 380 or so, I think. Lots of good conversations going on in there. So come and join the fun. Uh, get engaged with the other uh, Colorado Equals security folks. And I'd say, especially if you're looking to hire someone, there's a, there's a lot of folks in there looking for jobs, especially lower level jobs. Uh, and if you're looking for a job, it's a good way to meet hiring managers. Exactly. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the news. Uh, first, Toastmasters has opened their new headquarters here in Douglas County. Speech! Speech! <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. Well, I... Um, I uh, <laughs> so I know where you can find some help <laughs> with your uh, speech-making capabilities. Uh, but they've apparently been in California for, I think it said 93 years or 96 wow. years or something like that. But they moved to, to Colorado because it's much better here. Clearly. <laughs> just like you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... They, they put their headquarters just south of 470 east to 25 over there by Hacienda, Colorado, if you know the area. Uh, and, and pretty cool stuff. We have an international organization headquartered right in our backyard. Lots of fun. Uh, we Next item in the news, there's a bill that would allow CDOT to use technology uh, with data from, from cars to start you know, really getting tracking on the road and understanding what's happening with traffic. Yeah, so right now, if, uh, if you wanted to get that data, it would uh, require a warrant you know, essentially uh, that is uh, protected data so that the bill would allow this kind of data to be collected on a more regular basis without having to go through that process. Now we're, we're talking about like the, the kind of IOT sensors on the cars themselves, right? Right. Look, so tracking your location, mm-hmm. you know, where you're going, other things like that. Yeah. The sort of creepy stuff. It sounds like iRobot type stuff. Yes. Well, we're going to be there. And actually um, one of the representatives uh, quoted in the story who was against it uh, mentioned, uh, you know, people's permission, right? So we're essentially, we would be legislating away uh, people's privacy a little bit. Yeah. My, my favorite thing here is it says, uh, CDOT and lawmakers say the technology would not pick up any identifiable information of drivers, which is probably the most false statement I've read in the last few right. days. <laughs> I think we know that uh, even data that does not seem to be yeah. identifiable is pretty easy to make identifiable. Listen, it's not identifiable. All I can do is see what house he started at, which business he drove to, and everywhere else he went during the day at what speeds and what times. Exactly. I have no idea who it was, though. Right. You know, it could have been anybody that got in that person's car. (laughs) So anyway, uh, that is up for debate now. Um, You know, if you have uh, feelings one way or the other on this, maybe you should reach out to your representative. This is a follow up from a story we talked about a few months ago. As a part of the acquisition of Level 3 by CenturyLink, we mentioned that the uh, the CEO from Level 3, uh, Jeff Story, was going to become the CEO of CenturyLink in January 2019. Well, apparently he's very good at his job (laughs) and they said, we just can't wait to have this guy be the CEO and he's actually going to be taking over this May. Yeah. um, Maybe it's just that the the previous CEO decided, you know what? Um, I'm just ready to go play golf. So Jeff, you seem capable. I'll just leave it in your hands. See you later. Anyway, congratulations to Jeff. Uh, Obviously, I think it's good for the Denver community as well to have the, the Denver executive be running the new company. Hopefully that means we see more expansion here in Colorado. Exactly. Uh, next, there was a story that uh, tech employment in the state increased by 6,500 jobs in 2017. That, so, that's a big number. That is a big uh, number. It, it sounds like a lot. And, and then I, you look at the percentage and they say it's like a 2.3% increase of tech jobs. And I say, wow, we got a lot of tech jobs here. Yeah, but- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, I think about 2.3%. That doesn't seem like that much. But I mean, year over year, I think that is a pretty big number. Yeah. So it's just tech jobs. I suspect that security is more like, you know, 20%. It feels to me like 800%. Massive increase in the security jobs here in Colorado. Uh, Next, uh, there was a story this week about Amazon. It is not related to HQ2, even though that is in the headline, but basically saying whether or not we get the second headquarters for Amazon here in Denver, um, Amazon is definitely expanding here. Yeah, I know they have a lot of employees in the area already, and they are going to have a central office over by Union Station where all those folks are going to be sitting together. Um, And we're actually, when we get to the jobs, we'll talk about one of the security jobs here in Colorado. Yeah, they noted that they have uh, over 1,500 full-time jobs uh, in Colorado already. That's pretty good. I wonder where that puts them in terms of num- like biggest employers in Colorado. Yeah, I bet it puts them on the list somewhere. Yeah, I, I want to say that it, uh, Arrow, who touts that they're the biggest employer, is something like fifteen thousand. Okay, does that sound right. So yeah, so that's uh, ish. Getting sure. there. Yeah. So if you if you set aside things like like Denver Public Schools, which obviously they're all here, right? It'd be a little bit more interesting in terms of you know international companies like that. Uh, moving on, we have a, a story about a, a drone company from Golden that raised three point four million dollars. Yeah, so uh, this is very interesting. They're uh, doing data collection around their drones to make the drones work better. Um, sounds like they have some, I don't know, interesting tech that other drone makers don't have, but uh, yeah. unmanned so, flight. So the company is Juniper Unmanned. Uh, they, they, like I said, they are out in Golden. It just, it's neat to see this industry, which you know, probably at first we all thought of as hobbyists doing, you know, RC and then turning, you know, going from RC into something a little bit more, you know, distance oriented. It's really becoming an industry changer. And a lot of things that you can do with a drone that you, you know, would have to, you normally have a person, you know, climb on a roof to do a roof inspection after a hailstorm. You know, how long does it take you to have that inspection? Well, if we can, if we have drones, we can do it much faster going out to like, you know, isolated areas and oil fields and, and sending, sending a drone out there to inspect things. It's a lot of things you can do much more quickly with a drone. Looking out at uh, crops in the field to see how things are, are growing. So yeah, lots of good stuff there. P- patrolling the border instead of putting up a massive wall. <laughs> There's options, right? <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's just put guns on these things. Then we'll be all good to go. Oh, that, we did just get there. I, I robot. All right. Uh, so uh, next there was a story this week about um, the world's most infamous hacker, Kevin Mitnick. Um, spending some time in Denver in the nineties. Yeah. So if you, if you guys haven't had a chance to, to read about him much, uh, take a look at this article for a nice little intro. If you want to learn more, uh, he's got a book ghost in the wires that, that I've read. It talks an awful lot about his time in Denver. Um, really interesting stuff. He is one of the most famous hackers in the world. Um, and you know, kind of one of the early ones, apparently he's, you know, per the article been in arrested only five times so only five you know, he, he learned relatively quickly <laughs> exactly exactly you know you spent a little time in jail and i think you know you figure out that's probably not where you want to be um moving on so there's a, a some story a story out there right now about denver undergoing some kind of computer systems especially with their 911 and 311 systems uh, there is some kind of a computer issue going on that's taken down some functionality there you can still dial into 911 but you can't text into 911 and the 311 system has been down altogether. So we have an article in here that gives a little bit of info. Frankly, I don't think we know much about this quite yet. Obviously, the, the technologists over there are still working on it. What we have heard you know, from the, from the article, the official statement is that it's not related to a, a cyber attack. Uh, it's related to some kind of other software problems. Yeah, I have uh, heard a little bit of scuttlebutt that some people do think that it, it might be related to a cyber attack. But um, as Rob said, official statements are that it is it is not. So I guess we'll uh, hear more about that soon, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last story. You want to go ahead and Optiv, Optiv us? Sure. So um, Optiv earned the prestigious uh, Competitive Strategy, Innovation, and Leadership Award from Frost & Sullivan. Yeah, and I think this is maybe the second year they've won this in a row. I think we talked about this last year as well. Uh, there are a number of these awards that get awarded to different companies. So it's very possible that we talked about it, or it could be one of the other uh, very similar awards that are out there. Uh, another little piece of Optiv news is the headquarter building that they're going to be moving into has officially had the ribbon cutting, right? Yeah. It's open. It's called Optiv Tower at Gates Plaza and Chipotle Cafeteria or right. something like that. Yeah, so all, all three of those companies are going to be moving the, the bulk of their employees in there. So All three of the companies have their name on something there. I, they, there was kind of a, a little bit of a three-way fight to see who was going to get their name on the outside of the building. I, I guess Optiv paid the most, uh, Gates paid the second most, and Chipotle paid the third most. Is that's my guess. Um, right. 
uh, this is a, if I throw the word allegedly in here, we get, we're okay. Yes. Allegedly all of these things, right? This, this is what I've heard. Yeah. So that's it for the news. Uh, let's move on to our not trivia. Yeah. So as you guys may or may not remember, uh, last week we, we took a little turn and instead of doing our, our trivia questions, we are now moving to the Slack message of the week. Yeah. So obviously we would love to drive more activity in the Slack channel. We think it's a great community building opportunity. Uh, Slack message of this week is from Brian Becker. Brian is the director of security over at Cronky and, and Brian was the breaking news source for us this week as he as he shared the story about Boeing uh, who got hit by the uh, it was WannaCry right I believe so yeah got hit by WannaCry and you know the first reports were a little bit more sensationalist than maybe the later reports right first reports were like hey they're not going to be able to make jets for a while <laughs> but it, but it looks like probably you know they they were impacted by WannaCry but not going to impact their production yep so congratulations to Brian uh, we will reach out to him and. Uh... Thanks again to Andre Gata, who's our sponsor of the Slack Message of the Week, and Brian will be able to get something from our uh, our swag store. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get a note out to him. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to events. As a reminder, as always, we have an event calendar out on colorado-security.com. Um, go ahead and take a look at that if you want to see what's coming up over the next several months. Uh, also, just kind of as an aside, we have a mailing list. You can, If you want to sign up to the mailing list on the website, we'll get this, thing, this uh, show notes into your inbox every week. So the first event, which is tomorrow, April 3rd, uh, SecureSet is doing their Hacking 101 workshop, which is Intro to Threat Analysis. Uh, on the 6th through 8th, we have a Critical Infrastructure Hackathon. If you're part of the Critical Infrastructure or you want to be, this looks like a good way for you to get some experience. Uh, next, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their Security Plus Exam Preparation Seminar on the 7th. Yeah, this is a great way for you to get uh, ready for that certification test. It's a two-week thing. It's at the, the 7th and the 14th, but if you're not going to go on the 7th, probably don't go on the 14th either. Uh, then on the 10th and the 11th, ISSA Denver has their April meetings, and those will, as always, be Tuesday lunch in Boulder, Tuesday evening downtown Denver, and Wednesday lunch in the Tech Center. Uh, next, SecureSet is doing a cybersecurity career trends. Nadine Tanner uh, from Rapid7 on the 12th of April. And then kind of looking forward, forward a little bit further from that, uh, later in April, I think it's the 26th, we have the Women in Security event coming up. 24th. 24th, thank you. Uh, Women in Security event coming up. And then we have RMISC just a couple weeks after that, May 8th through 10th. A um, lot of good stuff going on. We've got a full slate of, of pre-conference sessions and then, of course, of track sessions during the event itself. Alex, I know we wanted to focus on a couple things this week about the conference. As the co-chair of the conference, what would you like to share? <laughs> so uh, we are doing something a little bit different this year that we haven't done before. Uh, we are bringing in a vendor called Living Security, and they do uh, security awareness education through essentially escape rooms. So uh, during the conference, we'll have an area set aside uh, where you can go through the, the Living Security experience and this essentially, you'll, you'll get locked in a room. You'll have a bunch of puzzles to solve, uh, security related. And, you know, once you solve all of those, you'll be able to get out of the room. That sounds a lot like a lot of fun. I, I, I've certainly done a couple of escape rooms before. This one sounds, from what I've seen, that they're really focused on security awareness and trying to, take, to, to drive home some reminders. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, and it should be a good fit for the conference. Yeah. And as part of this, we do have uh, sign up for Living Security. Basically, they're going to run... Um, run these every hour. So uh, I think they can only have 10 participants per hour. So as you uh, register for the conference, there is an area where you could sign up to do the, the living security experience. Yeah. So make sure when you register to go do that. Um, I imagine that there will be some spots that you can get into at the conference, but we want to try and get as many people registered prior as possible. So we want as many people excited as possible, but not too many people because there's not that many spots. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Say moderately excited about this. Okay, listeners? No, really excited for now. Later, maybe <laughs> moderately excited. Uh, so sponsorship as well, right? I think we've we had some great news that we've already uh, surpassed our goal for sponsorship for the year. Yep. So thanks, a huge thanks to the sponsors that we have for the conference. Um, we also have some spots open still, right? And We definitely still yeah. have some spots, but we are getting uh, shorter on those number of spots. Yeah. Um, so if you are a company that has been thinking about sponsoring, we, we would still love to have you, but you should probably pull the trigger pretty soon because uh, not too long, I think we're going to be sold out. And just as a reminder, RMISC is put on jointly by ISSA and ISACA Denver chapters. And any proceeds that come out of this, it you know, it's 
for many years, it's what this is like the 13th year, I think. Um, for many years, this is a break even or lose a little bit of money conference that you know became break even. And, and over the years, it's actually become um, it's become ca- cash flow positive, and it takes spends money back to the chapters. So ISSA Denver and ISACA get some money back out of the conference that they can use to increase those those organizations. Exactly. Everybody's nonprofit. There's no one. There's no one sitting there at the end taking this money home. It really just goes back into the community. So we appreciate any support we get for that. Exactly. So let's move on to jobs. Uh, first in jobs this week, um, I will turn it over to Rob. We, we once again have some pink identity jobs. Yeah. So one of the nice things about having a podcast is you can keep your jobs on the list every week. Uh, so we have a few jobs here at ping, um, looking for one that we just announced last week, uh, still pretty new, a senior security analyst position, looking for someone who's got strong, uh, Linux web application architecture, uh, and hopefully AWS skills along with scripting, uh, looking for a senior analyst for that. Looking for an infrastructure security specialist, which is on the same team, but really on the more junior level, you know, quite junior level position, someone who we can train up on those ty- same type of skills. And then we're also looking for a GRC analyst to work on our compliance team who would be doing uh, uh, ISO, SOC 2, GDPR type work. And this is also someone relatively junior looking for someone who can who we can train up on those skills. So moving on to the non-ping jobs, uh, Staples is looking for a Microsoft cloud security consultant. Kaiser Permanente is hiring a senior analyst of cyber risk defense. LogicWorks is looking for a senior cloud security engineer. Got a lot of senior positions this week. Uh, Dish Networks is hiring a senior security engineer. NBC Universal is looking for a cybersecurity vulnerability researcher. I think it's the second week or, that we've talked about NBC Universal. Apparently, they're they're building out a security team here. Yeah, I saw a, a few other job posts from them as well. Cool. Uh, and then this is a fun one. This is one we mentioned earlier. Amazon is hiring, and it's a security transformation consultant. Uh, of course, because it sounded so interesting, I I spent a little bit of time looking through this one. And they're looking for they're looking for a unicorn here, someone who's got really highly technical, hands-on skills, working on infrastructure and security as code, um, CI/CD microservices type stuff. And then also they want you to know about compliance frameworks, and you know have worked with NIST, ISO. Um, PCI, those types of things. So a really interesting skill set they're looking for there. For sure. Uh, next, ClickBank, ClickBank is looking for a cyber threat intelligence analyst. Is this clickbait? <laughs> is it? It might be. I don't know. I hope not. Uh, and then finally, Bank of America is hiring a senior information security officer. So hopefully, you're, you know, you're probably running security for one of their business units. over the Exactly. Day. That one actually could be located in multiple places, um, yeah. Denver being one of them. Awesome. Well, that is it for the week's news here. Uh, we do, of course, as always, have a feature interview we'll be going over to. This week, I sat down with Trent Hine. Trent was the uh, w- one of the founders for Applied Trust. Uh, if you guys know, over the years, Applied Trust was a professional services organization in the Boulder area. They got bought, I don't know, four years ago by um, by Via West. And then just recently, Via West was bought by Peak 10, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's now turned into a new company the name of which we don't remember. It was a bad name, but I don't remember what the name was. <laughs> I remember making fun of the name, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Either. Um, anyway, looking forward to hearing from Trent on here, uh, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Merlin Namath, Business Information Security Officer at the Reed Group. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. This is Rob Reck with Colorado Equal Security, and I am here today with Trent Hine. Trent, as we get started here, I want to know, what brought your great-grandfather to Colorado? Uh, they came here as uh, blacksmiths. Um, they, uh, he, he was a blacksmith, and it was the, the frontier, you know, in the yeah. early 1900s, and there was demand, and so he set up shop and um, eventually was the blacksmith in Lafayette, uh, of course, where there was a lot of mining going on at that point. So the Lafayette blacksmith, and I assume that's making mining equipment mostly at that point then? Uh, everything from fixing wagons to fixing heavy equipment, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, you need a blacksmith, you need a blacksmith. Yeah, so, so it's... Number one, I don't know what my great-grandfather did professionally. I know where he lived. He lived in Nebraska, but I don't know what he did. So it's cool that you know what your great-grandfather did. Um, so if you don't know any of the other questions, I, I get it. Do you, do you know, like, did they? Did your family stay in Lafayette? Did your, did your grandfather follow in his footsteps? Talk to me through this. This is interesting to me. Yeah, so um, my, then my grandfather grew up in Lafayette, and actually, um, and this is just unfathomable to me, um, he eventually went to... Uh, the University of Colorado for Electrical Engineering, and he would walk from Lafayette to the Boulder downtown campus uh, to go to school, which 
I can't imagine how long that would even take on foot. Yeah, that is that is really painful. Do you know what he was what he was majoring in? What was so he majored in electrical engineering, and then my father also majored majored in electrical engineering at CU, and the story there is you know they had lab books of you know when they did testing of big motors or whatever yeah and when my dad was a student there he he found his dad's notes in the lab notebooks which oh my was goodness. really cool that's yeah, amazing so. so so you are if i'm getting it right if you're if your great grandfather's first generation then that makes you fourth generation yes. colorado native and did you guys all you said you you told me earlier you live in boulder have you guys lived up there in that lafayette boulder northern area for the whole time uh, I grew up in Arvada, but okay. I personally have, have lived in Boulder the last 30 years yeah. and uh, absolutely love it. It's a great place. That's very cool. Well, so I guess we should probably talk about who you are and why we're talking other than this awesome Colorado Random history Colorado story. history, yeah. yeah. Um, so Trent Hine, you are, what I know you as is the, the founder of Applied Trust, um, which is a Colorado-born security services firm. Yep. Is that, that fair description? That's a great description. Um, but I bet you did something before that. So would you mind kind of backing us up and, and telling me you know, how did you, obviously you said you grew up in Arvada, you've been a local guy. How, what did you do? You went to high school and then what? Uh, I went to the University of Colorado and got a degree in computer science. And uh, actually 2018 will be my 30th year in cybersecurity, which makes me feel super old. Yeah, um, that's pretty good. But uh, the reason I say that is I was a student at CU and I, and I worked as a system administrator for the College of Engineering uh, on November 3rd, 1988, yeah. which of course is the, the famous date of the Robert Morris Jr. worm, really the, the first internet worm. Yeah. And uh, that that sparked my interest and um, started a, a lifetime of casing vulnerabilities and uh, ways to avoid them. Yeah, and, and, and so you, Talk, talk to me about how, how did you get, uh, you go from you know, getting this interest in the worm and, and moving from there and actually getting into professionally going after this. Mm -hmm. So um, at the time my advisor was uh, Dr. Evie Nemeth at CU and uh, she had a whole crew of system administrators and, and really was yeah. known worldwide as kind of the, the grandmother of system administration. And so uh, we did projects with her, consulting projects with her out of the university. Like we, yeah. we built the uh, computer science building at uh, Princeton, uh, built the network there. And uh, that started a, a passion for, hey, I like to help solve people solve problems. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated in 1991, um, I started a consulting company uh, with a buddy, um, XOR, um, and XOR grew from two to 550 people. Holy smokes. Um, it went through a, a couple rounds of uh, acquisition uh, in the 1999-2000 uh, era, and in fact, um, there are folks that I hired at XOR that still work for its current owner, which is FICO, the credit score people. Holy smokes. Yeah, so that's kind of crazy. And then I left XOR um, in 2001 and started Applied Trust. So you, you, did I get the date right? You started XOR in 91? Or 80, 81? 91. 91, okay, 91. So 10 years, 550 employees, is that's fantastic. It was crazy. Growth. Now this was also the, the crazy um, internet.com yeah. boom. Um, lots of e-commerce. Uh, got to do lots of great projects in the e-commerce and um, early security space. Yeah. And then in 2001, um, uh, Ned McLean and I started Applied Trust, uh, s focused solely on security, which was just fantastic at the time. It's, yeah. It was uh, a good time to start a security company, I will say that. 2001, okay. So what, what was the idea when you started up? What, what were you doing? Uh, we were very focused on um, getting enterprise to understand the need for um, Security is a discipline, right? So this is the before the era. 2001 is really before the era of CISOs. It's really before the era of security really being a, a clearly defined discipline. People, Some people laughed at us. They're like, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you'll never be able to run a company just focused on security. Of course, now that sounds ridiculous. But in 2001, um, uh, this most large enterprise had just started to think about it. And so um, we worked on everything from you know policy frameworks to you know, how do we detect uh, intrusions and yeah. uh, with very crude tools, right? We didn't have the, the beautiful commercial platforms that are out there today. Yeah. Uh, so do you, can you maybe tell me about some of those early engagements and, and how you go from walking in and that maybe they say, I don't even know why I need you to, to delivering value? Yeah, you know, this, and, and the sad part of it is, and I think this is still true today, is um, there's really two types of clients. Um, mm -hmm. There's clients who, uh, 
uh, don't know they've had a breach okay. and clients who have had a breach and are suddenly very interested in getting help. And uh, that space still today is very driven by, when you look at inbound leads, is very driven by, hey, um, we need help. And oftentimes it's a friend referring a friend where uh, you know someone accidentally discloses 100,000 credit cards they're in tears, you know, panicking. They call a buddy and say, what do I do? The yeah. buddy's like, you need help. Go hire a professional, which yeah. is the, definitely the right answer, right? And it's, you know, I'm not saying go hire applied trust. It, I am saying if you have a large breach, you need to go get professional help because you want to make sure that evidence is handled in a way that it could be eventually turned over to law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, uh, that you don't destroy evidence in the process, that type of thing. And so uh, you pick up a lot of clients that way. Um, but then... It, it, it really boils down to understanding where sensitive data is in the environment and how do we protect it. And that sounds simple. You're like, oh, well, of course, that's super obvious, Trent. Well, unfortunately, a lot of organizations can't identify what sensitive data they even house and where it is, right? Is it in a spreadsheet on someone's laptop? Is it in you know some server in the closet? Is right. it in some third-party SaaS provider that marketing contracted with that no one even knew about. Um, Even knowing where the data is is often a challenge. Yeah. So I am interested in in the business side just a little bit. And of course, I want to talk about security too. But when you chose to open up this new business, was it, you know, you you said you had a co-founder. I'm sorry, what was his name? Ned McLean. Ned McLean. When when you and Mr. McLean opened the business, did you guys, just the two of you are, are the are the business development and the delivery arm, or did you have folks you were working with, or how did you go there? Uh, for, for at least the first six months, it was the two of us. Yeah. We did sales, we did marketing, we did um, engagements, yeah. everything, um, yeah. outreach, everything. Uh, uh, you have to, right, when you're bootstrapping a business. I mean, this is uh, one of the things that uh, I often struggle with is that the perception, um, at least in Boulder, often is is that the only way to start a, a business is you have some type of venture capital, you know, some big cash infusion, and you know they come with all these resources that help you with X, Y, Z, and K, and that's absolutely a, a valid way to start a business. Um, we didn't start XOR that way, and we didn't start Apply Trust that way. We yeah. completely bootstrapped it. You know, two of us working in front of a whiteboard, figuring out what we're going to do, and you know, you write all the web content, and you go out and sell it, and you deliver the work. And then, as cash flow allows, you can start to bring on help, um, whether it's help for uh, additional delivery resources or you know, administrative help or whatever. Now, of course. That, that may not work as well for a product business, but in a services business, it's absolutely yeah. viable. Yeah, you see, it seems like you can you can do it pretty pretty low risk that way, right? Pretty low yeah. risk, yep. Yeah. And, and you have the opportunity to really focus on doing things right, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you want things to be um, perfect in terms of how you position yourself in the market and the what, you're, what value you're delivering to clients and you have a lot of control when you're the one doing all those things. Yeah. So let's, let's you know, starting in 2001, you, there's two of you there. Uh, how do you go from two of you to, you know, building a, a larger, you know, quite scaled company? T- talk me through the years. Um, it really is a, a one year at a time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would, you know, we can kind of walk through it. Uh, I, I would say by the end of year one, we probably had four or five people on board. Okay. Um, uh, and by the end of year two, uh, sitting, you know, in the nine or ten range, and and we did an interesting thing, um, which I also encourage entrepreneurs to ponder is, um, in our second year we had pretty good visibility into revenue and growth and so on, but one of our largest expenses beyond personnel is real estate, right? Is is right. for an office, yeah. and of course these days maybe you don't need an office stall, maybe it can be virtual, but you know sometimes it's nice to have that headquarters mm-hmm. feel, and uh, so in two thousand three we actually. Uh, purchased office space in downtown Boulder because mm. a buddy had told me, he's like, stop burning cash in the parking lot giving money to a landlord. If you're going to be here for a few years, go buy a building and pay yourself. And that actually turned out to be just incredibly good advice. Mm. Um, you know, we're blessed by what's been a great real estate market right. over the last, you know, decade and a half. But um, uh, we, we bought a building in 2003 and that's where Applied Trust still sits today. This is and, fantastic. And 
did you guys use the whole building? Were you renting it out and making back some of the payments? or? Um, uh, so we were using all the, the uh, pieces we owned. We eventually leased additional space adjacent okay. to that so that we could grow. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. When you're an entrepreneur, even if you're a tech entrepreneur, you need to be thinking about, you know, what are those other ways that I can make our dollars go farther and, mm. and, and build value in the organization, especially in a services business, because at the end of the day, your assets in a services business walk out the door, right? right? And uh, you've got to build some type of intrinsic value for the organization. Mm. So as you grew from you know two to five or six to 10, did you see the, the nature of your service offerings change? Um, the nature of our service offerings changed a little bit. Uh, simply because the market changed, right? And when we look at the, um, start to talking about, you know, 2006 to 2010 era, um, enterprise IT was, an enterprise compliance was very aware of the threat um, that was out there in terms of cybersecurity, yeah. but still didn't really know how to address it. And so, um, and, and we started to see products come on the market um, that commercial products that, that helped solve the bigger problem, right? Mm -hmm. We can do, um, wide, large scale um, patch deployment or large scale AV deployment or um, single sign on yeah. um, where we didn't have those in earlier years. And so um, the, the, the problem got more complex and the need for consulting in that space um, continued to increase. So that, that was um, really uh, awesome. The other thing that, uh, of course, came into play were external drivers, right? Regulatory and, you know, we look at whatever you want to call PCI, commercial regulation, right. um, that folks were required to adhere to a compliance standard mm -hmm. um, because of the type of data they held. And so, whereas before, maybe they didn't have a breach or they didn't know they had a breach, but now they're basically forced into thinking about and spending money on yeah. cybersecurity. So was Sarbanes-Oxley a driver for you as well, or is it really more PCI that you saw as the... Uh, I, the, I, the top two drivers are, are, are really HIPAA and PCI. Okay. Um, you know, uh, the ITGC part of um, uh, SOX, you know, depends on the organization, right? Different yeah. accounting firms interpret that differently, which of course is a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't think that that's had the, the teeth that one would want, at least yeah. as a security practitioner. So yeah, you haven't seen that driving a lot of uh, opportunities? Yeah, I'm just thinking. I was trying to think of the early 2000s and what was what was bubbling around back then. You know, HIPAA is yeah, that was before high tech, right? So there wasn't the same level of guidance that, or at least the, the yeah, I didn't have the teeth, the right? Teeth, so this, yeah, the, okay. the, the the concepts were there as of about 2003, yeah, um, but really didn't have the enforcement teeth until high tech. Yeah. Um, so I have, I have some some friends, and I actually myself have had a cons consulting company where. You know, it's done by a, a senior person, right? So someone who knows security well. And as you went to scale from from the two of you uh, to getting more folks, and I assume you you've got some people who are less experienced. And um, how do you how do you think about you know, hey, I want to offer the high quality product that Trent would offer, but with you know other other folks scalably and you know with a larger staff. How do you think about that? I, I think you always have to have a team, and and I especially think in. Um, the space that we're in today where um, security is incredibly complex in any enterprise that you need uh, multiple eyes and ears on it. And so uh, the approach to apply trust was, you know, we would always pair, you know, one or more senior folks with uh, someone who's maybe more junior. Yeah. Um, I, I think as an industry, we have a problem in that we're not training uh folks well and not training enough folks to be good security practitioners and so the more that we can do transfer knowledge transfer with them the better and some of that is you know on a team working on a project hmm. uh, have you uh do, do you have any kind of a theory at this point about how to identify the right talent that you want to train up what, what do you look for if you're bringing in someone at the bottom level to to, to you know train up um, attention to detail in across all of cybersecurity is 
incredibly huge, right? And, and it's, uh, this sounds harsh, but you know, you, you put 10 resumes in front of me, the ones that have typos on them, formatting errors or whatever, are instantly off the table, right? Yeah. If you don't take the time to have the attention to detail on your resume, I know you're not gonna have that in the security space, whether you're sitting in a SOC, whether you're doing assessment work, whether you're doing some type of technology deployment, you need that incredible attention to detail. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that uh, I think you need today is um, a pretty solid foundation in what you could call computer science or IT or infrastructure, right? It's unfortunately, because there's so much demand right now, especially in the audit space, you have people who have no background in technology doing compliance assessments, doing quote security audits. And sure, they have a checklist. They have no idea what the items on those checklists actually mean. And, and that doesn't provide the value that at least I would want to see. So you, are, it sounds like you're more of the um, mindset that you'd rather train someone in the security and compliance requirements, but have them have this the technical IT background versus having someone who you know knows project management or so, something like that and try and teach them the technology? A absolutely, because the, the technology layers uh, are incredibly important and incredibly complex, right? You need to understand, you know, what do network packets look like and how does how does traffic move and what is a you know what does a router do? Um, what does a firewall do? Um, yeah. What is a how does a database um, manage access, how, how does the application interact with a database and, a, and you know, some type of server farm and the cloud. Um, yeah. th those foundational technology concepts, you can teach them, it just takes a really long time. And so I, I think it's easier to take someone who's a technologist and, and teach them the nuances of cybersecurity than like you said, someone who's a project manager and trying to teach them technology. Okay, fair enough. So let's keep, let's keep moving forward. We got a couple of years in, you're at 10 employees and you're, you're starting to uh, focus more on, you know, helping people, folks with PCI and maybe some HIPAA requirements. Uh, talk to me about how does, how do things move forward from there? Uh, you know, really continue to grow largely through word of mouth. Um, yeah. uh, lots of client to client referrals. Um, especially in specific industries, right? Did a lot of work in healthcare, quite a bit of work in retail entertainment and so on. Because um, once you have a reputation in that space, you're like, oh yeah, you should call Bob over at Applied Trust, right. whatever. Is that, so, is that mostly in Colorado or is that nationally? Uh, nationally. And uh, as you know, um, we're in a space now where it doesn't really matter where you are, right? You could, you could do consulting for a company in Africa just as easily as you could for someone in Aurora. And uh, that, of course, helped us grow as well, just the, 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 the ease of being virtual. And um, then around 2014, um, you know, we're approaching the 50 engineer mark, and uh, Ned and I, it, we, were, we were really good through the years of doing annual planning, right? Taking a day or two, step aside and say, okay, where are we? Where are we going? Um, you know, as a business, what do we want to be doing? Um, how do we how do we keep moving forward? And, and around 2014, we got to the point where um, the, the bootstrap thing was getting harder and harder to justify, mm. right? Is, is, is you're, when you get to the, the near the 50 person mark, it's like you start to need real marketing department. You need a real finance department. You need um, you know, product development. Um, you, you need all those groups that we just never had. You know, everybody was someone's side job or multiple people's side jobs to do all those things, yeah. HR. And so the question is, what do we do? You know, do we start to, to, you know, hire our own HR department, our own marketing department? Or is this an opportunity to go buddy up to someone that, you know, needs what we do, has those things, and there's some type of symbiotic relationship. And yeah. so uh, we spent roughly a year um, looking at options in that space, you know, can, can is there someone who would be a good culture fit for our team? You know, very technical. Um, at the, we had actually said it would be ideal if you can find someone in Colorado, right? It's yeah. a good Colorado company, but we didn't limit ourselves to that. Um, and they're they're looking for a, a ProServe InfoSec firm uh, to to grow with them and. Uh, we came across ViWest. Of course, I'd known ViWest forever. Nancy right. Phillips, just a legend in Colorado um, and an amazing leader and um, turned out to be just the, the perfect fit. You know, they were 
uh, in the process of expanding their offering set to include things beyond um, just cloud and colo. And uh, you know, we were looking exactly for that. Uh, you know, some someone who had all the the larger company uh, features, but um, wanted professional services, and so that turned yeah. out to, to be a dream fit. And um, you know, I. Uh, I often think how lucky we were to have come across them at that really? time. And so, so I mean, it seems like a huge change, right? You're, you're 13 years into a company that you know the two of you are navigating on your own, and yep. you, have, you know, totally control your own destiny. Um, presumably, have some kind of a goal in mind, whether it's an exit or a lifestyle business or some kind of a goal. Um, and, and and then this is a pretty big sea change. It seems like to me. Is it is it is it not feel that way? Um, I, Sure, it's a change, but it was—it's one of those things where, when you're at that size and you're bootstrapped, you—you've got to do something, right? Either we've got to fundamentally change the structure of this company on yeah. our own and add all these—I'll just call them corporate structures—or yeah. um, um, we need to 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 find some way to plug those in. And of course, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different ways to do that, and and we looked at a bunch of different ways to do that, and BioWest just happened to be the perfect fit, and. And the the fact that they you know they didn't compete with us right it's not like they had a professional services group that right. then um, we're going to try to mash these together it's like hey we really want to add this on as an additional service offering yeah. which was the 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 perfect fit for us at the time sure uh, so you were there you went to Viowest 2014 how did that change your day to day life. Um, not the boss definitely. anymore, right? It, not it, the yeah, not you know, definitely continued to run professional services, but um, uh, there's a lot of other players making strategy and business decisions, right? Certainly, yeah. um, the the nice thing about working with the leadership team at BioS, Nancy and and Mike and Jason, Jeff, um, was that they you know very much collaborative, very much wanted to work with us on hey, where are we going? How can we grow this together? Right. Um, what are the you know how can we change the world in a positive way? And so I had yeah. just super great interactions with them about that um, and you know then at the same time we're, we're going from an organization where every sale is made by an engineer that actually delivers work yeah to an organization where you know at the time I think BioS had like 40 45 um, sales folks right and they're selling work separately from engineers and so yeah. I would say that's the biggest transition is how do you get the, the the sales and AE team up to speed on hey here's a here's all the offerings we have um, here's where they apply here's where they don't apply um, here's how you sell them that type of thing yeah. and so that that was probably the biggest change is, is is learning to work with a large sales team yeah so you came in with about 50 50 folks mm -hmm. um, you know a couple years later were you still at 50 folks doing the professional services of what used to be applied you still actually went to market as applied trust right we did, and yeah. there's, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of internal debate about that. Is that the right answer or not? But you know, certainly in the security space, um, AT was a known brand, right? And uh, uh, certainly, it, it it worked well for us for yeah. for those years. Um, uh, you know, I don't know what they'll do going forward, but um, uh, it, it's definitely one of those things where um, when you become part of a larger company. Um, you have to make those decisions, right? Like, yeah. what are we going to keep? What are we going to change? What are we going to adopt yeah. from the, the the new company? And so, how many folks did Applied Trust have? Um, you know, a couple years in after you went over there, do you grow? Do you stay the same? Do you shrink? Uh, uh, we grew um, yeah. and uh, grew in a bunch of different ways. So, grew both in in, in headcount um, uh, with uh, I think we almost doubled headcount oh, wow. in those two years. And then uh, we also grew in uh, office footprint, right? So previously, all of our team was based in Boulder. Um, currently, Applied Trust has offices in Dallas and Philadelphia and Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of that driven by market demand, like, hey, this is a great market to go and expand, yeah. expand into. And some of it driven by really employee choice of like, hey, I want to live close to my parents, yeah. you know, my aging parents or whatever. And it was like, great, virtual world. Go build an office in Dallas. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I know things have changed. It was uh, was last year, right? It was 2017 that uh, Via West uh, merged with Peak Ten. Via West right? got purchased by Peak Ten, right? Which okay. is a, a company 
Uh, very similar um, in size uh, to ViWest, but really East Coast based. Yeah, I remember, we, and we just covered that they have a terrible new name, the joined company. Do you remember what the name is? It's, uh, I think it's Flexential. I don't. Flexential. Yes. I hope yes, I said yes. that correctly. Yeah. That. So, like I said, a terrible new name. Uh, so, but talk to me about that that uh, acquisition process. What, what was that like? Um, you know, I, I had very little visibility to that. That was yeah. really uh, 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 the ViWest layer and above. Yeah. And um, that deal closed in early August, August 1st or August 2nd of last year. About six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and what did that mean for Applied Trust and for you? Um, you know, it, it it almost doubles the number of data centers that the combined organization has. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, th I think that the their going forward strategy, right, obviously is, is very data center centric. Right. Um, they continue to, you know, support and grow uh, the professional services group in Boulder, um, yeah. now led by the, the amazing Dan Mackin. Um, but, you know, it, it became clear to me that it was, it's time for me to move on. It's just something I want to go do. There's so much opportunity in our space that yeah. um, it, it made sense for me to move on to go do something else. So the, se so the second, second sale was the one that was enough for you, the moving to, to peak 10. Uh, and when did you choose to move on? I left December 31st. Okay. So it, yeah, I got you. So end of the year. Um, now you say there's lots of opportunity. Clearly there's lots of opportunity. Is there something in particular that's especially interesting to you? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, um, uh, yeah, and I wish I could narrow it to one thing, um, but I'll, I'll talk about a couple things. So um, uh, uh, one thing I'll point out, um, uh, as I'm sure everyone is acutely aware, um, 2018 is an election year. And um, I, for some odd reason, think that cybersecurity is gonna be a pretty hot topic for campaigns. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it's a it's an opportunity to make a difference, right? Like it's, it's I, I always say people ask me, well, what do you want to do? So I want to change the world. Are you about and to announce you're running for governor? Oh, that's, I'm about to hear right here. Hilarious! No, <laughs> no, um, no. But I do think that um, uh, maybe some campaigns could use a little extra cybersecurity help oh, um, in the coming months. Yeah. Because um, uh, I, I I think that uh, unfortunately it's one of those things that you know still I mean it's true for large enterprise, but it's also true for campaigns. Um, folks kind of pushed by the wayside. It's like, oh, someone yeah. will take care of that. Well, who's that someone? Yeah. And how are they taking care of that? And suddenly I think that might be a lot more important. Yeah. Um, so uh, 2018 is a unique opportunity in that regard. Um, but then beyond that, uh, you know, there's a couple spaces that uh, I am very passionate about that I want to go push on. And um, it's, but they're all in what I would call the dark IT space, right? Hmm. So here's the challenge. Um, in cybersecurity industry has done a really great job of highlighting, you know, like, oh, we have to secure desktops and we have to secure servers and we have to secure applications in the cloud and we have to secure mobile devices and so on. And every organization I work with, you're like, okay, cool. You guys did all that stuff, right? You got antivirus and you got IDPS and single yeah. sign-on and you got all that. And then, hey, let's go talk about all of these little devices over in the corner. The HVAC system controller that's connected to Ethernet. The camera system that's connected to Ethernet. The um, uh, you know, badging system. Uh, maybe we have industrial process control for our soy milk production line. Whatever. Um, all of those things have IP addresses. They're probably running an embedded operating system of some form. And when you, when you ask most organizations, you're like, how are you securing those? You either get a completely blank stare or they quickly try to sweep that. It's like, oh, Bill takes care of that and he's not in today. Yeah. And you know that's a problem, right? It's a problem for us as an industry is that we need to be securing those industrial uh, IoT devices. Um, just, you know, of course, in the consumer side, we need to be securing uh, IoT devices as well. But definitely in the industrial space, I think it's a, a missed... Uh, it's a missed opportunity. It's really the black sheep of the environment. And, and a lot of times it's devices that are purchased outside of IT, right? Mm -hmm. It's purchased by some facilities management group or some business unit or marketing or who knows what. I always pick on marketing. Um, but IT doesn't have any visibility into it and information security doesn't either. And so I think there's an opportunity to, to work with tools and process around um, that. Um, you know, the other thing that just keeps me awake at night is all this talk about machine learning and AI, right? Mm. It's the hot um, space. And a lot of folks, you know, we can go on and on about, okay, well, what, what is artificial intelligence and, and, and where are we as a, uh, 
an industry and computer scientists. Um, but the reality is, is that businesses are starting to make decisions based on what they got back from their machine learning model, right? Mm -hmm. Which is really what we have. And then you ask them a question like, how do you know that that model wasn't tampered with? Or how do you know that the, the data that was provided to that model right. uh, had integrity? And then you also get that blank stare look, right? right? It's, just, it's just like, well, it's, it's machine learning, it's artificial intelligence, it's great. It's like, great, if we, if instead of having a machine learning model making those decisions, we had Scott in the corner making those decisions, for sure, you would be making sure that Scott's work was audited, that you knew how Scott was making those decisions and that he wasn't being paid on the side by yeah. you know some German hacker kid, whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, we're at, right now where we are is when you talk about, well, how are you securing your machine learning models? There's really not an answer for that. And so yeah. I think that's also an opportunity to, to, to go change the world. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like you have some thoughts about it. Are you, think, are you thinking a product company, services company? Maybe go work a for somebody product else? product service company? Oh, man, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I yeah. love the entrepreneurial thing. It's so fun to go to build an organization yeah. um, where you can control technical excellence, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can do things the way they should be done. Um, and, and, you know, let's be honest, your, you know what, is on the line for yeah. doing it right and um, doing what you say you will do. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm going to hear from you in the next year or so with, with what the next thing is, right? Yeah, let's get through election season and yeah. then let's, uh, we'll see what's going on. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to have a few weeks here um, to ski and to think about, you know, like what, what's the next space to go jump into. Right. So you're, you've been in Colorado your whole life. You, you know, you've, you've seen us go from not having any kind of a security community at all to, we have a, a fairly vibrant community at this point, I think. Hugely, yes. Yeah, maybe you could talk to me about what you, how you've seen that develop and what, what is it, what's it been like to, to watch this over the last few decades. Uh, it's amazing. You know, er, er, the, the nice thing about Colorado in general and, and about the security community is that everyone is so giving of their time. Um, you know, you, you often say that, you know, you can get coffee with whoever you want in the Colorado yeah. community, whether it's the security community or the entrepreneurial community, be like, hey, you know, can we have coffee? Great. Yeah. Everyone will take your request for coffee. Um, and, and I think a lot of that's been... Um, a result of some of our early leaders. And, and one of the folks I'll call out is Rick Dakin. Um, uh, you know, Rick, the founder of Coal Fire Systems, yeah. unfortunately we lost him in uh, 2015, um, uh, uh, a friend of mine. And he, you know, always, no matter how busy he was, he was always up for grabbing coffee or breakfast mm -hmm. and talking about, you know, how he started Coal Fire and ran it, or, yeah. you know, how he pushed on the, the FedRAMP standards at the federal level or everything in between, right? Yeah. And, and I think having folks who are willing to do that and be so accessible um, is unique. I have known a number of folks who have left the Colorado community, go out Bay Area, and that's the thing they came back and said, is like mm. in the Bay Area, you, you can't just drop someone an email and be like, hey, can we grab coffee next week? Yeah. Um, very different. And uh, that's, and, and folks who commit their time, right? Like Colorado equals security, um, to help promote the security community here in the state is it's awesome. That's great. It's it's just amazing that you know we've gone from this dusty old cow town, right, where we oil and gas, maybe some telco, to to somehow you know what's happened in Boulder and what we have now in Denver with this you know innovation of technical companies. It's been amazing. Do you do you have any idea why 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 Colorado's been so fortunate in that way? Um, yes, I mean I, I have my opinions. Um, I, where would where else would you want to live? It's, it's like the dream place. Like yeah. if you're like, okay, where could I start a company? Yeah. I want to start a place that has amazing people, an amazing client, 300 days of sunshine. Um, you you know, skiing's an hour away. Um, hiking, biking, rafting, you name it. Um, we have everything here, um, and that we have multiple great educational institutions here, right? You look at the program, the cybersecurity program at DU, you yeah. look at the University of Colorado, you look at CSU, um, Regis, right? It's like, we have all of the assets to go build an amazing uh, community that supports cybersecurity and IT. And um, I do think it helps a little bit that we had a lot of telecom to begin with because of just the natural um, 
physical location of sure. railroads and fiber uh, junctions here. But uh, it really is just the, the best place to live. Yeah. Don't so, tell anyone that because we'll keep we'll it keep could, it secret. It could no, get full. Yeah. yeah, as long as no one listens, we'll be fine. Uh, what about you know you've done this twenty plus years of, of really security focused stuff, right? What is what are the thing you see people doing wrong the most? What you know you walk into a company and people who are trying to do the right thing, not not ignoring it, but trying to do the right thing. What are they missing? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, my my biggest rants is often around checklists, right? And so uh, sometimes that translates into compliance standards. Um, but uh, the, the perception is that, oh, if I get um, an assessor, an auditor, whatever, to come in and give me the stamp of approval, right? Mm -hmm. Or PCI ROC certified or we're HIPAA certified of some type, we're secure. And the reality is you just, you, you, nothing could be further from the truth. And I think anything you checklist like that is gonna behave that way, right? You have to look at the fundamentals. What data do we have? Where is it? How are we protecting it? Did we include everything in the environment, right? Without even looking at the checklist. I'm not saying that the stuff on the checklist is bad. I'm saying it's not enough. And of course there's conflicting check checklists is a problem. The story I will tell, right, to simplify that is recently had a house sitter um, you know, we have kids and have critters, right? Like a salamander and a crested gecko and, and so on. So when we're traveling, someone has to come in and feed the critters, yeah. right? So you give them a checklist, like feed this critter this time and this often, feed this critter this time, this often, and so on and so forth, right? Of course, that's how you how you handle that situation. Um, we were gone for a week, come home and walk in the house. I'm like, wow, it's really cold in here. Why is it so cold in here? Oh, back door is open. Why is the back door open? Oh, talk to house sitter. Oh yeah, you know, back door was open, but I figure you guys left it that way for a reason. It's like, you didn't say to close the back door on the checklist. <laughs> and it's, you know, but that's exactly what we do in information security. Wow. When we, you know, take a list of 740 controls and test for them and then say done, right? It's like, oh, well, the closing the back door wasn't on the 740 controls and we leave the organization vulnerable. And so that, that's the number one thing is you just can't get stuck in the checklist mindset or the compliance mindset. Um, the other thing um, that, that often frustrates me, um, and I, I'm- Let me just bit, jump in real quick and say, you need a new house sitter. That, that's well, the lesson clearly. I just got out of that story. <laughs> well, 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 sure, that, that could be a good lesson too. Um, but you know, it, it's, that is the mindset when you give someone a checklist. Sure, yeah. Period. Do, you, do the, you do the checklist, I get it. Right, you yeah. do a checklist and then you're done. Because I'm sorry. You, Cut you, you have off a there. million other things going on. Uh, the 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 other thing that drives me nuts is folks um, storing data that they don't need. Right, it's like if you don't need the full social security number or yeah. you don't need the 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 full encryption key or whatever, do not store it, no matter what controls you have in place. Yeah, it's it's the data it's the hoarders, right? It's yeah, data hoarders because someday we might need it. And, it's like, yeah. no, if, unless we absolutely need it today, we yeah. shouldn't ever store it. And then that helps reduce our security burden. Uh, so the other question I'd like to ask, I think you touch, touched on this a little bit already, uh, is, is around what if someone wants to get into the field? Obviously, you want them to go get a nice, strong technical background. Uh, can you be specifics? What technologies would you, would you think someone should go learn about? Uh, well, I would love to see folks getting degrees in computer science mm -hmm. or related field like ECE. Um, uh, but there's lots of different ways to do that. Right? Te the tech colleges have programs in that. Um, I, I think having a really strong background in networking is a great entry point into cybersecurity, right? Yeah. You understand how uh, packets move or don't move, um, uh, where data is and so on, I think from a networking background would be fantastic. Uh, and then um, go do an internship. There's so mm -hmm. many opportunities um, to go do you know, two month, three month internships at a bunch of companies uh, and learn not only you know, how do they work and, and how do they approach problem solving? But what do you like? I'm a mm -hmm. big believer that you should love your job. Yeah. And you know, there's cybersecurity is a huge field. Maybe you love pen testing, maybe you hate it. Right. I don't know. You know, go learn what you love and then go pursue that. Yeah, well that's great. So I, my last question for you is have you ever tried blacksmithing? I have never tried blacksmithing. No, and that's just, that's probably, uh, probably something I should go do. Yeah. Um, uh, no, that has just never been something. Um, uh, you might you might be I'm missing like, out on your calling. Yeah, maybe it's genetic. It, right? it, it's it's, you, it's quite possible. Um, so a tip for you: there is a uh, the, the place called the Littleton Historic Museum. 
in uh, in Littleton, and they have a, a a functional blacksmith shop. Oh, cool! You can, you can go take it. I don't. They do lessons. I know as well. You could go actually do a little blacksmithing and see if see if great grandpapa you know pop, comes through and and you're you're ready to you know that might be your next thing. Oh, that's awesome! It's a great suggestion. Oh, yeah, and, and maybe you could start making some. I'm trying to think of some IoT security devices that could really help us out. That's right. <laughs> I'm a little, the forge. Yep. I'm a little vague on exactly how you do that at the forge, but but it's a possibility. Anyway, any, do you have any comments, questions, anything you want to, you want to throw out to the community? Any call to action for folks or anything? Uh, get involved, right? So um, I think that as cybersecurity practitioners, um, we all have uh, an obligation to help those in need of cybersecurity help, whether it's a nonprofit organization or your um, you know, favorite political campaign or your, you know, the neighborhood senior center. Um, everyone needs help with cybersecurity. Not everybody has dollars to pay for it. And so all of us should step up and, and, and try to get folks to a more reasonable state. It's a great message. All right, Trent. Well, let's, let's touch base. Uh, like I said, maybe after the election season, let's see where you go. And I'd love to hear what's going to be next for you. Thanks, Rob. It's been great. All right. Thanks a lot. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.